drunk driver. Now, some of you are going to know exactly when I just get, get a little closer here. You're, you're going to know what I'm talking about. Candace started an organization in 1980 after that horrific tie, uh, death of her daughter. And she founded the organization called MAD. Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. You don't hear much about that anymore, do you? It's kind of, I mean, it's still out there. It's still, still very prominent. There is a study that was done in 2013. And the study found that since the inception of the organization MAD, they, they have uh, calculated that uh, drunk driving deaths had fallen 50% since 1980. That's pretty successful. What would be really successful is prohibition. I'd like that. But that's, we better not get into that because that's another issue. But uh, this, this woman, Candace, um, obviously came to a place in her life, and because of the tragedy in her life, came to a place of doing something about a problem. I mean, there were drunk di- driving deaths before 1980, friend. I mean, there, there, there's still something like 40,000 deaths a year. No, 8,800 deaths a year or something like that. 88,000, I'm sorry. 88,000 deaths a year that are, that are directly attributed to alcohol. I'm not preaching about alcohol tonight, but I'm just saying that <clears throat> there, there were deaths before 1980 because of drunk driving. But this tragedy in this woman's life caused this one woman to stand up and say, enough, enough. And she came to a place where she wanted to do something about it. And though the circumstances are vastly different between the, this lady, Candace Leitner, and Nehemiah in our text today in Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a man among many who decided to stand up and do something about the situation that they were in. And it's, it's good to see this. Uh, I think the, the, the organization MAD is a wonderful thing to have out there. I think it's a great organization. Uh, I mean, but uh, we see this in the life of Nehemiah standing up. And I tell you, we still need people today to just stand up and realize we just need to do something about some things out there. There are some things in our nation that are so bad that somebody eventually has got to stand up. And if, they're going to, if anything is going to be done about it, somebody is going to have to stand up and do something about it. But let me say this. There are things going on in our churches today that are so bad, it really somebody's going to have to stand up and just do something about it. They're just going to have to do something about it. And when we look at the life of Nehemiah, here we are in chapter 1. We saw last week some of the differences between Ezra and Nehemiah. I think it's interesting that obviously God chose the scribe to deal in the temple, right? And And if you remember back in Ezra, I know we haven't really gone over this, but if you go back to Ezra, really Ezra came along later and it's seeming to me that Ezra was brought along to deal with the spiritual condition of Israel. The temple had already been essentially reconstructed and finished and done. Ezra came along to deal with some spiritual conditions and God chose Ezra, right? The scribe, the lover of the word of God to deal with spiritual issues. And now here in Nehemiah, God has chosen Nehemiah, a, let me say it this way, a layman, just a guy out with a job, working for the king, chose him to come and build the walls. And see, we see here in verse 1, it says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped which were left of the captivity and concerning 
Jerusalem. We read this last week. And they said to me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Now this news came, it says here in the 20th year. It doesn't say the 20th year of what? Until you go to chapter 2 and verse 1, I believe you can notice this here in chapter 2. It says, It came to pass in the month Nisan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king. So here we have the answer to chapter 1 and verse 1. The 20th year uh, of Artaxerxes, he says, As I was in Shushan the palace. This was 13 years after Ezra went up to Jerusalem that second time and uh, began dealing with problems there. In verse 2 here, we see Hanani, some of the men of, uh, of Judah come up to go, come, go, I guess, really go east over to Babylon. And uh, they come to Nehemiah and Nehemiah asks them what's going on. They tell him what's going on. He says, the remnant that are left, they are in great affliction. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. Now realize this, Nehemiah would have been born in Babylon. He never knew the home of Israel. All he knows is Babylon. For all practical purposes, that's really kind of like his home. He, uh, the, the captivity lasted 70 years. So as far as we can tell here in Nehemiah, we we're about 50 to 60 years after the beginning of the captivity, 50 to 60 years into this captivity. And so Nehemiah has never seen his homeland, although he knew all about it, right? He knew all about his homeland. Somebody had taught him about his home. Somebody had taught him about the promised land. Somebody had let him know where he was really from. And, and there's a lot of application there spiritually to us, I believe, and we have never seen heaven yet. We've not been there yet. We're on our way. We're going to be there. But listen, somebody has told us all about it. And it was Jesus. Do you realize as we go through the Old and New Testament, we have uh, something called progressive revelation. And really the Old Testament saints didn't have a lot of light about death and what came after death. They said what? We, they, they slept with their fathers. That was about the end of it. That's about all the revelation they had. Well, Jesus came along and he said, uh, if I go, you know, be not troubled, you know, uh, believe in God, believe also in me and my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And he says that and he goes on to say that I've gone to prepare a place for you. And he goes on to say that where I am there, you may be also. And he talks about heaven and he tells about how we're going to absent from the body is present with the Lord. And we have all of this revelation of our our home where we're going. How, how many are really longing for home? You've never been there, but boy, you, I, I'm telling you something. There is a longing inside that we just want to go home. Nehemiah had never been in Israel, but it was home. He knew it was. When we moved here from here, our, our family, my parents and me and my siblings, we had to, we had no choice because uh, we were kids. We moved from here to New England, and that was culture shock. And uh, not as much for me. I was younger, but for especially my older sister was nine years older than I am, and she was probably 10 or so at the time, 11, somewhere around there. And, uh, and so we, we moved to New England, and even though I lived there for uh, 18 years, right, that wasn't home. We knew it wasn't home. 
We had no relatives there. We had nobody there that we that we knew except you know acquaintances that were met along the way. Um, all of our relatives were right here. Our summers were coming back to Missouri every summer. I mean, you, you know, so we lived in a place. I kind of under, a little bit understand this. We lived in a place and uh, that uh, that wasn't really home. And we knew all, obviously we knew all about where, where we were from. And yeah, even in my sister and myself and not as much my brother, because he had other issues. But there is, there is this uh, longing, there is a longing for home. There's a longing for relatives. There was a longing every summer to come make that drive in that Dodge pickup. It was like a 78. It was, oh, it was awesome. We loved it. And that back of that truck, driving back to Missouri every, every year, we just longed for that. We loved that. Nehemiah has never been there. He's never been in Israel. But it says here that uh, he'd never been in Missouri either, right? <laughs> he'd never been in Israel, but... Uh, he knew all about it. And when he heard about the condition of his home, when he heard about the condition of the promised land, I tell you what, it did something to him. It did something to him. Look at verse 4. What did it do? He said, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. No, he wasn't standing. He wasn't walking around. He was, I mean, it, the, you know, anybody ever call and say, are you sitting down? I need to tell you something. Right. No, this was so overwhelming to him when he got the, when he got the word back. It says he sat down and wept. Look at this, verse 4. And mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven, and I said, I beseech thee, I beg thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and let thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. What is going on here in Nehemiah's life, except he's coming to a place of great brokenness. We touched on that last week. Some of the similarities between Ezra and Nehemiah of this brokenness over the condition of where they were living. It was bad. There are three evidences of brokenness in our text. Three evidences of brokenness. Three, let me say it this way, manifestations of brokenness. We're going to look at these, but number one is fasting. You know, sometimes we make, make on purpose to fast. We'll look at this. Other times you're just so overwhelmed with the tragedy, your appetite is gone. Yeah. So there's fasting. Number two, there's prayer. And number three, there is confessed sin. Let's look at these. Verse four, he did fast. He fasted. It says right here, he fasted and wept more certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. It's fascinating to me, not fast, not fascinated. It's fascinating to me. It's interesting. It says a lot. I believe it says a lot how most of the modern versions remove fasting from the Bible. They will keep prayer in there, right? Sometimes it'll be a footnote and say some of the oldest, most reliable manuscripts, whatever that means, uh, say fasting. But a lot of times they'll just outright remove fasting. A friend of mine, he pastors in a few towns over, 
he had no problem. He grew up in an uh, independent Baptist church. He was taught uh, the King James Bible, the Word of God. You know, he got out uh, in college and he kind of went a different direction. He used an NIV for quite a while. And on his own, on his own, he got rid of it. He goes, you know, one day I was reading my Bible, I realized fasting's removed everywhere. And I thought, why would they remove fasting? It's like, why is it so, you know, and he came to the realization, like, this is huge. This is a really big thing. Fasting is a big thing. Jesus commanded fasting. He said, this kind, we're going to look at it here in a minute, might, might touch on it. This kind come not out, but by prayer and fasting, right? And uh, what was going on? The disciples were going out and they couldn't, uh, they couldn't cast a demon out. And they came back and the guy said, yeah, your disciples couldn't do it. And Jesus said, this kind come not out, but by prayer and fasting, right? There are some kinds of things in our life that really they're not coming out but by prayer and fasting. It's a powerful thing. And it's, and it's uh, I think the evidence of the power of fasting is, is manifest in the newer versions that remove it. You know, why would you take these things out? He fasted. It's very important. When was the last time you were so burdened that you came to a place of having to fast? Can I tell you this? There are some things that are going on right now that we should be burdened enough to be fasting over, but we just aren't because we're not burdened about them. Right? You know, I mean, on one side of the coin, we can say, well, well, yeah, it's been, I mean, life's great. I mean, true, we're doing great. There's nothing. But no, actually, if we just stop and look around, there's a lot. There's a lot. I believe one of the things that we have lost in the Christian life is the work of fasting. This is a self-indictment, friend. I'm not just uh, griping at you, right? Fasting. Ezra, is, Ezra 8.23, he fasted. The church at Antioch fasted when they're trying to find out God's direction. And when they had fasted and prayed, what was it? It was the Holy Spirit of God spoke to the church and said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Paul for the work whereunto I have called them, right? Why were they fasting? They were fasting fasting to, to hear from God, to get direction from God, to know what to do. Jesus, remember I just said this, he had, he had rebuked those disciples who uh, could not cast out the demon. And when he said, this kind come not out but by prayer and fasting. When Paul and Barnabas went to Derby, the Bible says in Acts 14, 23, I've got it written down here. And when they had ordained elders in every church and had prayed with fasting. I think that's interesting, that word with. Prayed with fasting. Almost like they just kind of go together. Now some will argue that some of these newer versions, that it's one, it's one and the same. It's really not, right? But when they had prayed with fasting, they commanded them, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So why, why fasting? I think there's some, some reasons behind that we can see. Obviously, it's, it was commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was done by the Lord Jesus Christ. All, I mean, many of the saints that we see throughout the Word of God fasted and had times of fasting. Uh, I mean, you think of Daniel, you think of Esther, you think of all of these different ones who had fasted in long, extended times of fasting. Why? Well, I think here's another great reason for fasting is, you know, the flesh gets in our way many times with our relationship with God. It does. I told somebody just today, actually told one of my daughters today, uh, yeah, we, I talk, we had a nice long conversation today. It was a good conversation. And I said, you know what? The, the flesh is so bad, it's irredeemable, and God has decided to kill it and put it in a grave. 
right? Our soul, our spirit has been made alive. We've been redeemed unto God, but the flesh is going into the dirt and we're going to get a new one. <laughs> it's so bad. See, the flesh can get in the way of our relationship with God, doesn't it? It can, it can get in the way at times. When speaking of worship, God said this in John 4.24, God is a spirit and they who worship me must, they, they who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? The flesh, the flesh cannot do anything that God accepts as worship. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. This is the problem with a lot of music today in, 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 people's lives and in churches in church settings and in the members of that body and their lives flesh it just feeds the flesh and the sad thing what's going on is it's it's it, it is um it is uh, maybe maybe the word i could use is desensitizes at times our relationship with god right and and and, and that the fleshly music that is put out as worship right well god doesn't he can't receive that as worship right God says it's got to be in, in spirit, not flesh, in spirit and in truth. Yeah. See, our fallen flesh, it's, it's so bad, right? It likes to take total control over our life, doesn't it? There's a thing called instant gratification, right? You ever, you ever hear that? Instant gratification. We live in a society where that's very easy, don't we? We have a lot of money. We have a lot of access to things. We have grocery store shelves that used to be full. Uh, we, have, we have all sorts of stuff, right? I mean, just instant. I've told people this in the sales industry. Walmart has, has created a whole different culture, a subculture in the United States. And for those people that are in a type of a sales with manufacturing, it's changed it all. Because watch, you can go to Walmart and buy whatever you want right now with no risk. And then you come along in a, in a certain industry of sales and says, well, here's the concept. Pay us money down and you'll get it in eight weeks. People are like, uh, what? Right? They don't, they don't know how to do that. We're living in, in, in a society that is, I'm telling you, the, it, it has made it very easy for us to, to cater to an instant gratification. I'm hungry, eat. I'm thirsty, drink. You know, I want this, I'll do that. I want to do that. I want, and and, and it's, 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 uh, it's not a good thing because what is happening, sometimes if we're not careful, our flesh takes over. Right? So what, what does fasting do? Sometimes fasting just tells the flesh, knock it off. And you know what happens when you start fasting? It's like a four-year-old. No! I'm going to die. I need food. And I'm thinking, have you seen this? There's enough here for a, a solid six months, all right? There's nothing wrong, all right? You are lying. You're lying, right? And I'm not talking about those that are you know, diabetic and hypoglycemic and things like that. But by and large, I mean, like, come on. It's, your, your body lies to you. And, you know, it's funny. The older we get, the more we know how much it lies. I, you know, a, a kid doesn't realize that really they can go a long time, you know, working and laboring and running, you know, without dying. And, you know, they whine and moan and cry. And the older you get, you just get more tough and grit because you realize, eh, that doesn't mean anything. It's lying to me. Fasting. He fasted. He turned the body off. He turned the flesh off. You know what happens? Those of you who have fasted, you've done it, haven't you? You know what happens? When the body begins craving something, food, you know, well, food, right? What does it make you do? If you're intent on fasting, what does it make you do? It makes you turn to God. 
and it's almost this continual pro, you know what I mean? You get closer and closer and closer to the Lord. What are you, what are you doing when you're getting closer to the Lord? Your, your ears and your heart are wide open. You're listening. I mean, it's, it's, it's right there. It's a very important thing. It was a, it was a manifestation of his brokenness. The condition was so bad, he couldn't even eat. He realized maybe, maybe he made a, a made a, uh, maybe he, he just decided I'm fasting. I, I don't really say I don't think which way it went, but whatever it is, he fasted. He fasted. He fasted. He was broken. What was going on was terrible. Somebody had to do something about it. Notice what else he did. He prayed. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to cease, pray without ceasing, not cease without praying. Pray without ceasing. That is very important that you get the right order. Pray without ceasing. Hebrews 4.14-17, the Bible says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed uh, from the heavens into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted as we, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace. That word grace, there's divine enablement. Grace to help in time of need. Why do we come boldly before the throne of grace? Because our Savior is a sympathizing Savior. He understands and He knows. Because He is, He knows, because He has been touched with the feelings of all of our infirmities, we come boldly before the throne of grace. E.M. Bounds said, What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men of prayer, mighty men in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. Boy, I like that. George Muller said, I have joyfully dedicated my whole life to the object of exemplifying how much may be accomplished by prayer and faith. You ever thought about that? Just sitting down with God and saying, you know what, from here on out, I just want to see what can be accomplished by, by, by prayer and faith alone. I'm going, to, I'm going to test this out. I know we don't test God. but Adoniram Judson Judson said this, I never prayed sincerely for anything, but it came as sometime, somehow, in some shape. I remember I had a guy I worked with he, he, uh, in sales, and he made some comment about praying for him over because some sale that he needed. And I don't know how the, it progressed to this, but uh, I said something. I, I asked for every sale I get. He goes, what? I said, yeah, I, everything, every." Every sale I've asked for, God has given me. He said, are you serious? I said, yes, I'm serious. Right? Absolutely, I'm serious. What about the ones you didn't get? I didn't pray for them. Learned that lesson. But some I didn't want. <laughs> some come in and you go, oh, we don't want that. <laughs> Let's, we're not, right? Listen to George Muller again. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be, when one is truly in this state. It is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. Mueller said the reason his prayer life was where it was because he lived in a place that he wanted and desired the will of God for his life. Yeah. Some prayers aren't answered because God, I think, knows we're not going to do what he says anyway. 
Sometimes he doesn't reveal things in the Word of God because the Holy Spirit doesn't illuminate some things. Because why? Well, you know, we're no, we're not going to do them anyway. Right? How do we know Nehemiah was broken? He fasted. He prayed. Right? He confessed sin. Verses five and ten. Look at verse six. It said he prayed without ceasing. Remember, First uh, Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Look what it says here of him. In verse six, he prayed day and night. He just, it was a continual prayer meeting. Notice the progression of the confession of sin. He started on a broad scope. He confessed the, the sin of Israel. And then he brought it down a little narrower and confessed the sin of his father's house. And then finally he brought it right to the point and he said he confessed his own sin. It reminds me of Isaiah and the, the six, I believe it was the five or the six woes that he had pronounced in the last woe. When God, when he, when he finally saw God in all of his glory, that last woe was for himself. And he said, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And boy, when that, when he came, do you realize when he came to that place of confession of his own condition? Right? He's, what, what happened? Then he heard God. He heard God say, who will go, who will, who will, who will go for us? Who will I send? Right? Who shall I, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Do you realize Isaiah was overhearing God? God wasn't talking to Isaiah. He overheard him. Yeah. How could he overhear him? Well, he came to the place of confession of his own condition. It's like his ears opened. It's like he could finally see God. He could finally hear him, right? Prayer. He fasted. He prayed. He confessed sin. Why was he confessing this sin? Uh, you know, you, you see here in the text here is it, because he, they've realized Israel is in the condition that they are in because of the sin that they were in. They, he, Nehemiah realizes I am right where I am because of the sin that we sinned against God. He reminds us, look at verse 8 and 9. Remember, I beseech thee the words that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out under the uttermost parts of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Do you see what he's doing here, actually? Not only is he, is he acknowledging and confessing that they are where they are because of their sin, but he's also bringing a promise back to the, uh, to the ears of God. You said, if we get to this place and we come and confess, you've promised to bring us back. Wow. You see that verse 9? He reiterates a promise that God has for him. It's a wonderful thing to pray the promises of God. He fasted and he prayed and confessed sin. And then finally he asked God for his request. What, what was the request? Look at this. Uh, down here. Grant me mercy. Yeah. I think I need to go down to verse 11. I think it's where I'm. O Lord, I beseech you, let now mine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cup bearer. Who was this man? Well, he's fixing to go to Artaxerxes. He's got a request. You know what he's asking God for? Mercy. Yeah. Aren't you, aren't you glad that God delights in mercy? 
Aren't you glad that the mercies of God are new every day? Do you realize we don't get old mercies? We don't go get rehashed mercies. We don't get, you know, like day old donuts, you know. We get new mercy every day. We don't come to the place and get in a, like, it's like, man, I only have this much mercy left for today. I'm sorry, friend. Yeah, maybe come back another day. No, no. Every time we go to God, it's like from the, the, the cream of the crop, it's the top, it's full, it's all available to us, the mercy of God, and He enjoys it. That boggles my mind, and I love it. The mercy of God. He's about to go in. Nehemiah has a burden. Nehemiah, he's, he's broken about the condition of his nation. He, here is a man who is going to, he has looked out at the situation and he's going to stand up and he wants to do something about it. Yeah. Just a layman. Just sitting in the pew. Just working a job. The king's cupbearer. Had a pretty cool job. Well, unless he messed up, then it was not a cool job. <laughs> yeah. But he had a good job. The burden means that he saw a need and he was overwhelmed with the desire to want to do something about it. And you know, I was thinking about Crimson Avenue Baptist Church. And let me just bring this together here tonight. And as we move forward as a church, maybe we need to ask ourselves a question. Is there anything that burdens us? Anything burdening you? Maybe about the condition of our nation. That's an easy thing to be burdened about. Yeah. What about the condition of Christendom? Right? The umbrella right, of, of Christians? Let's, let's just narrow it down to independent Baptist churches. Right. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, sometimes the, uh, you know, it needs to begin in the, you know, that judgment needs to begin in the house of God. Right? It needs to begin in your own house. We think about the, con- the condition of our own church as churches of like faith. Yeah. Have you ever been burdened that there's no urgency anymore? I'm telling you, Reformed theology has destroyed the urgency of the gospel. It's like, ah, ho-hum. You know? And that bleeds into us. It does. I mean, the, the ones that were, uh, the, that were on the radios all over the place and thundering out the gospel and, and, and trying to persuade people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and now the radio waves are taken over by those who are just teaching and saying, eh, you know, if God's chosen you, you'll come. And that affects us. And that should burden us, right? That, that the gospel isn't going out with the urgency like it once did. And we look at these things. We look at Christians. Uh, how many of us, if we were honest with ourselves, if we were, if we were just, just dreadfully honest with ourselves, would have to, be, have to, have to uh, uh, admit that, man, we're just controlled by the world in so many ways. In our mindset and the way we think and our philosophies at times and the things we worry and fret about and the things that we get excited about and think are wonderful, right? And it's just sometimes you're like, that's kind of worldly, really, sometimes when you step back from it. What are you burdened over? What are you burdened over? Burdened over a lack of faithfulness? I mean, hey, I mean, the clock's winding down, friend, isn't it? Time is running out. I mean, obviously, obviously, we are closer now than Paul was. That's, 
I mean, come on, a couple thousand years. I mean, that's that's an easy one. But I'm telling you, it's like we're getting to the end of the end. It's like the hourglass. It just seems like I understand we could be 50 years off. We could be 100 years off. I mean, we could be, uh, you, you know, the, the whole idea of the end times, right, in the last days is really signifying that it, it is a time measurement. But, I mean, the last days are, are those days after the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the last days because the, the Messiah has come, right? So, I mean, we could have some... Quite a bit more time left. I don't know, but boy, you just look around. It just seems like the that hourglass is like just. I mean, it's moving faster. You know, that it's down to the end. It just seems like things are flying, flying. Technology's going crazy. AI, it ought to creep you out. I tell you what, these robots now they have computers that can some that that they can they can somewhat um, um, not just think, but they can kind of uh, reason a little bit, right, Micah? They I think that's the right word I'm using. I, I mean, there's, it's pretty scary. Weird stuff coming. Weird stuff. I've said it before. I feel like we're getting to the place of the Tower of Babel again. Because God said, he said, if I don't come down and, and if we don't intervene, he said, nothing will be impossible to them. Their minds, I, I tell you, you get the human mind. And they were really smart. We're dumb compared to them, man. We're just, we're ignorant. I mean, our brains have so digressed since then. But uh, we're doing some pretty crazy stuff. That can control us. That can have an effect on us. Yeah. Is there is there a burden? Do you have a burden over the condition of our world, over the condition of our churches, over the condition of our people, over the lack of faithfulness that we're seeing? A lack of faithfulness. That's what I was saying. Man, I got off. Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith? When he said, will I find faith, he wasn't talking about, am I going to find saved people? He's talking about, when I return, will I find people, what that means is living by faith. Right? And you watch those around you just falling away, falling away, falling away. Living by sight, not by faith. Does it burden you? Does it burden you? Does it burden you when... When fellow Christians, fellow church members, just, just they don't seem to have an appetite for God anymore. They'll go through the motions, but the appetite's not there. It's just like they're just eating toast now. No grit, no fortitude. No, we're moving forward. Praise the Lord. Thankful for what the Lord's doing. But I think it'd do us well. It would do us well as we move forward and remember why we're moving forward. That God would allow us to have a burden. A burden for Nixa. A burden for souls. A, a burden for children that need the gospel. Do you think they're, you, you know what they're getting in the school system, right? They're going to get told in the school system, well, you can be a girl or a boy or an it or whatever you want to be. Friend, they are getting indoctrinated. They say we brainwash. That is a disgusting brainwashing they're getting. We don't. You can't brainwash with truth, friend. Truth is truth. How do you how do you brainwash with truth, right? These kids are getting brainwashed. Yeah. Do you have a burden? Do you have a burden that the, that this is going on? Do you have a burden that they need the gospel? Do you have a burden that they need to be in church? Hmm. That's why we're moving forward, right? Amen. 
What are you supposed to do with your burden? Maybe the Holy Spirit of God just brought something to you tonight and just a burden. Something just hit you. What do you do with it? Well, you fast, you pray. Maybe confess the sin that got, got us to where we are. Watch this. Then ask God for mercy while getting up and doing something about it. Yep. Do something about it. We're moving forward. But you know it would be a good thing for us to do is to move forward with the great burden that God puts on our heart. Nehemiah looked at the condition of his home. It just devastated him. And it's not just like, you know, you know, the Ukrainians are doing that that are in the U.S. They're looking back at their homeland and they're doing the same thing. But, I mean, that's war. I mean, that's, don't get me wrong, that's a product of war. What was going on in Nehemiah's heart was a product of sin. Watch, it didn't have to happen. That's the worst thing. It didn't have to happen. May God help us. Maybe ask, may God give us a burden. May He give us a burden like Nehemiah had for the world and the city and the town that He's put us in to reach with the gospel. Our Father, thank you tonight. I needed the reminder, I really did. And I pray, God, that you would burden us for what burdens you. Obviously, we know you don't carry burdens like that. But Lord, you love the world. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You said you have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So, Father, would you create in us as a church a burden for the world that you have put us in, where you've placed us here in this town. Would you do work as we move forward? Would you help us to keep the main thing? It said a lot. The main thing, the main thing. Would you help us to do that? We need to. We really do. Not to get sidetracked from the mission. Well, thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. The instrument's going to play tonight, however the Lord's spoken to you. You can just take some time right where you are. Respond to the Lord, however He's been speaking to you. Would you respond to Him tonight? Do you have that burden? Has God given you a burden? stand tonight. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Good to see everybody out tonight. We'll see you Saturday morning. We'll have men's prayer. and I don't know how the weather is going to be. I haven't looked. I don't know if it's supposed to rain. I think it's supposed to rain Sunday. If it's not raining Saturday, we'll hit the pavement.
And we got a lot of uh, door hangers and invites for Resurrection Sunday to pass out. Here's some more. And I got a bunch more out in the, back in the office there. So I'd be inviting for that. All right, we're going to be dismissed. Brother Chris, would you close us in a word of prayer tonight?